Well, good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Barry. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, I wonder, if I asked you um, the question, who here is an evangelist? Who would put their hand up? Who is an evangelist? Let me actually ask the question rather than hypothetically ask it. Who, who considers themselves an evangelist? Several hands went up and then went down again as they counted the cost as the hand went up. It's like, oh no, I can't do that. Um, the senior pastor's hand went up, which is good. Um, a lot of other people crossed their legs as if sort of like a biology lesson. There's that kind of fear of that word, isn't there? Um, we're looking at um, 1 Peter together uh, as a church. There's a, a, a letter written to a group of Christians in about AD 62-ish, something like that, about 30 years after Jesus had lived, uh, at a time when Christians were coming under pressure, when they were coming under persecution for their beliefs. This is the time of Nero and, and that kind of uh, reaction to what Christians were doing. And Peter writes to encourage Christians to proclaim their faith in the way that they live, to do good at all times, to always, always do the right thing. Um, And um, he he says this earlier in the chapter, don't repay evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you, but pay them back with a blessing. Pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to and he will bless you for it. Did anyone uh, watch the uh, rugby yesterday? The rugby, meaning the England game. Uh, uh, There's one or two here. You're almost as embarrassed about that as you are about being an evangelist. Is that... Oh, yeah, I was wondering why you were going to pipe up, actually, because I could hear you all morning. Um, In that match, there was a match... um, We we were at a PCC meeting, actually, above there, so we, we sacrificed that pleasure... To, to do that. But downstairs, the fellas were watching uh, the rugby down here. And all we could, we could, we knew what the score was because it was communicated up through the floor by a series of oohs and ahs. It sounded like a group physiotherapy session, really. It was like, oh, ah. I even knew that Johnny Wilkinson had missed a glaring kick. I, I could tell. It was, it's David here, really. He was the loudest of all. But in that match was a, a, a guy called. Ewan Murray, who's a Scottish prop. If those of you who don't know, a prop is one of those really big guys whose job is to fall over and get up bleeding about two minutes later. That's really all you do um, as a prop. But he's also a devout Christian who has questioned the need for um, rugby games to be played on a Sunday and has said he's not available for selection when they are. And he's Scotland's first choice in that position. And um, what's the Scottish coach called? Um, I've forgotten his name now. He's an Englishman. Andy Robinson. He says he's their best scrummager. He's their best scrummager. And last week, their match was against Argentina. And they lost by one point. And Ewan Murray didn't play. A few years back, he did play on a Sunday. But then his... Faith took a different turn and he announced that he would no longer be available. And at the time he said this, it's basically all or nothing following Jesus. I don't believe in pick and mix Christianity. I believe the Bible is the word of God, so who am I to ignore something from it? I might as well tear out that page 
and then keep tearing out pages as and when it suits me. And if I started out like that, there would soon be nothing left. He's not the first. Do you remember the film Chariots of Fire, which was Eric Liddell? Um, Jonathan Edwards, the triple jumper, made a similar stand in 1991. And there was a, a New, uh, New Zealand All Black called Michael Jones, who was similarly unavailable, and it cost him his place in the squad because New Zealand expected to get to the quarters and the semis, and they were both played on a Sunday. And they lost, but never mind. My heart is bleeding. Sorry, Jeffy. Um, my point here is not about Sunday observance. We can all have different takes on that, how strictly you want to apply Sabbath laws. It's about the willingness of someone in the public eye to allow his faith to make a difference to how he lives his life and be prepared to say that out loud and to answer the question when asked and to pay a price because it cost him. I, the, the match they lost last week, they lost by one point. And had they won it, I think they would have gone through. And a stance like that provokes questions in people watching. That's the point. Don't, don't get hung up on Sundays and, you know, and Sabbath law and stuff like that. When you see someone else prepared to stand, to speak, to pay a cost for conviction, it provokes a question. Let's go back to this idea of evangelism. We have a love-hate relationship with that word, don't we? Um, we, we know that um, it is good for the church to reach out and for people to find God and to find the church and to find community and life. We know that somewhere there is an eternal dimension as well. He, Peter himself says in, in the second letter that he writes, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away, the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. You know, kind of serious. But we also fear the idea of evangelism, don't we? Because we don't like rejection. We don't like ridicule. We don't necessarily feel confident about what we're proposing. We think, well, I like the church, but I don't think they will. And I'm not going to sort of risk that pain. But Peter says, worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it with kindness and respect. What Peter is assuming there is that there will be a question. Somebody will ask you, why is it you live the way you live? What is it about you that I can see that's different? I was reading a book by a man called Graham Tomlin, who actually has preached here, called Provocative Church. And this is the essence of the book, that the church is a community of people that lives its life in a positively provocative way. In other words, lives life in such a way as to inspire questions from onlookers, to say, why do you do that? And of course, when a question is asked, it's an awful lot easier then to, to, to respond. And he says this, there's a world of difference between talking to someone who desperately wants to hear what you have to say and someone who is listening out of politeness. You know, the standard evan evangelistic model is telling people, insisting they respond, otherwise they'll go to hell. The evangelistic model that Peter proposes is live your life 
evangelize through your living and what you do and respond to questions. It's far easier, isn't it, to enter a man's house by invitation through his front door than to climb down the chimney and try and sell him something. And that's the difference between traditional evangelism and lifestyle evangelism. So what does Peter suggest? Well, the first thing he says is that doing good, the way we live our life as a witness to God, is a response to God's own kindness. It's it's a loving response. It's not an agenda of thing you do out of duty, but something that is God's kindness overflowing into us. And from verse 18 onwards, he stresses the salvific, um, the saving act of God through Christ, how God rescues mankind through the death and resurrection of Christ. And doing good is a response to that act of kindness. And we reflect the kindness of God, and when we do, we connect to something that I believe exists in almost every human being. There's a kind of common denominator in us, which is spiritual kindness. Uh, I've been reading a book by, um, actually he's dead, unfortunately, this guy now, called John O'Donoghue. It's called Benedictus, and it's a book of blessings is the subtitle. And he says this, There is a kindness that dwells deep in things, something deep in the human soul that seems to depend on the presence of kindness. Something instinctive in us seems to expect it. And once we sense it, we are able to trust and to open ourselves. When someone is kind to you, you feel understood and seen. Kindness has gracious eyes. It's not small-minded or competitive. It wants nothing back for itself. It strikes a resonance with the depths of your own heart and suggests that your vulnerability, though somehow exposed, is not taken advantage of. When you are kind, when you do good... You connect. You open someone up. They become receptive to God's spirit, not just your persuasive words. And something much deeper is going on than your cleverness or even the quality of your life. So when Peter says, do good, do good, do good, he's saying, be kind. Always be kind. That people don't have a cause to reject what you have to say. In fact, they'll feel convicted and inspired by what they do. The second thing is this, set apart Christ as Lord of your life. Put Jesus at the center. In the previous chapter, he says, live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. When they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. They will give honor to God when he judges the world. I want to briefly return to my Scottish rugby hero, Ewan Murray. I only like him because they lost. I mean, I would have been deeply upset if they won. But he said, when I became a Christian, my life away from rugby changed hugely. I went to church. I looked after myself more. I used my time better. I prayed. I prayed about my rugby and asked whether or not I should stay in the game. And I did stay. And the following season, the doors opened. I got a regular place in the Scotland team. And things have been good ever since. Over the last few years... I found out what a Christian should be. A Christian should be the hardest worker of all. And the interviewer says, why? And his reply is this, because the Bible says that whatever you turn your hand to, 
You're to do it with all your might. You're to do it as if you're serving Christ. Evangelism flows from making Christ Lord of our life and letting it affect what we do and how we do it. So actually it's not just the quality. You, won't, you can't ever be the best at anything. But the values that drive the things that you do, characterized by love and kindness, speak to other people. Not everything that we do in church is overtly evangelistic. But everything has an evangelistic dimension. It has a, a capacity to reach out and speak to people. Graham Tomlin, in that book that I mentioned, said this, When a church begins to be truly itself, it will not be able to stop being evangelistic. You know, we put so much trust, don't we, so much hope in individuals who we think have the gift of the gab or the courage or the anointing to be evangelists. What I mean with a capital E, standing up and speaking out. But who are they going to evangelize to if people aren't asking us questions about what we did with our weekend and we're not prepared to answer them? Or they're asking us questions about why we approach the work that we do in the way that we do and we're not prepared to answer them. I think this has a link to life groups and what we've heard because I think this is best done together. When you go out there into the you know, the big wide world, you are sometimes alone, aren't you? But when you come back into life groups or, or small groups, you tell your story and you hear others tell their story and you think, I feel a bit stronger to go back into work tomorrow and give that another go. Well, I'm really encouraged by that story because I think I could do a similar thing where I work or make a similar stance because sometimes it's a negative thing, isn't it? It's not always positive. Sometimes there are things you have to stand against that speak about your faith. The third thing that that, uh, Peter says here is be ready to explain. And for that, you need to have faith in yourself a little bit and understand that what you have as a Christian is of supreme value and it is of interest to people out there. I think we make an assumption often that it's not, that no one will care. But if you think about it, the people that we mix with, the people that we are friends with and and share our workplace with, have been let down repeatedly by the agendas of the world. Money has let us all down, hasn't it? Um, Politicians have let us down from time to time. Even the forces of law and order have been a bit shaky over the past few months. The great pillars of our society, the bankers and um, some of our MPs have disgraced themselves and hurt others into the bargain. There is war and rumor of war. We are under a form of attack. It's quite quite overt at the moment. And your gift to them, as someone who lives a greater hope, is precious and valuable. Evangelism is characterized by telling the good news, but it's also about being good news to people about being a breath of fresh air, about being that that, um, germ of kindness in a harsh environment. And you have everything you need. I have everything I need to be able to do that, even if I can't stand on a street corner um, with a kind of, you know, made-up 
powered microphone and, and scream out the gospel at people, which I hazard to suggest is probably singularly ineffective. Each of us has an equivalent opportunity to you and Murray to stand out where we are. And only you will know what that equivalent opportunity is. It might be the manner in which you speak into situations that are the rise in the workplace or at school or wherever it is that you, you, you spend your time. Make it distinctive. It could be the way you drive your car, you know, the way that you treat people in the street, the use of your time and money, your attitudes to conflict situations in work. Are you part of the solution or part of the problem? The values that drive the way you approach your profession, what your motives are in the things that you do. And these are provocative questions. People notice. And then one day in the pub or just in that five minutes before or after a meeting, someone will ask you, why, why are you taking that approach? What is it about you that is different? Because you look and feel different to the other guys, to me. Final quote from this guy, John O'Donoghue. He says, if you send out goodness from yourself, if you share that which is happy or good within you, it will all come back to you multiplied 10,000 times. In the kingdom of love, there is no competition. There is no possessiveness or control. The more love you give away, the more love you will have. Could I ask the worship team if they can come back up? I wonder if we could just consider what that might mean for us this week as we draw to the, the final part of our service together. Because the opportunity to start living that way starts the minute that we close the service, doesn't it? The minute you walk out into that foyer or out into the street, the opportunity to show the loving kindness of God to all you meet starts immediately. For some of you, what will be lacking will be the motivation and courage. And I'd love to pray with you that he will, God will plant his heart inside you, plant his heart of compassion and kindness inside you so that that can overflow. For others, there will be distress in your life. There's some unmet needs that are holding you back, not, not allowing you to look outward because you have things inwardly that you really need God to help you with, and that's understandable. If either of those apply to you, as we worship, I'd really love to invite you forward so we can pray with you. Just a quick prayer and say, Lord, I, Lord, I want to be a lifestyle evangelist where I am. Will you equip me to do that? As we worship, please take the opportunity to be myself and others who would love to pray with you and uh, anoint this through the Holy Spirit, not through your strength and good efforts.